This morning we're in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, you can follow along or follow along with the words on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9. Thank you, Wanda and Aaron, for that beautiful song. And I love the season where we sing our Christmas songs and sing of our Savior. And we are going to look at a passage of Scripture, again, foretelling His birth. I want to pray for us before we come to Isaiah chapter 9. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time this morning to worship You. And we thank You, Lord, for Your presence with us. We pray now, God, that as we worship You by listening and by uh, believing and obeying You, that, God, You would, would help us to understand and Holy Spirit, help us to live out your truth in our lives. I pray your blessing upon our time, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen. The word you saw of Christmas in the video was promise. I know you've made many promises in your life. You've had many promises made to you. Maybe you've had some that have been broken, and those are always the ones that hurt the most. I know children, when they're promised by their parents something, even if it's just ice cream after uh, homework, maybe on a, in a, a hot day, if that promise isn't kept, there's heartache. Of course, there's more serious promises, like the promises of marriage that often are broken, and that brings heartache. So when you think of promises, don't think about the heartbreak. I want you to think about the ones that bring hope. And I think when the time is most critical when it's the darkest, when there is uh, just, you don't see any way that there's going to be any good come out of something, and you have a promise that things will be okay, that's when it can bring hope. But it's also the hardest time to believe that a promise is going to mean anything is when it's the darkest and when life is most difficult and when you can't see a way out, because then what good is a promise? You don't need a promise at that time. You need help. You need deliverance. And all you're getting is a promise? How can that help you when you're in your darkest time? And in Isaiah chapter 9 today, there's a promise that is given. And it's given to the nation of Israel when they are in their darkest time. You think of the promises that we looked at last week to Ahaz. Remember, he was given a promise about uh, a sign and a virgin having a child named Emmanuel. Ahaz was in fearing for his life. Ahaz and the nation were fearing that they would be destroyed. That's when they got a promise in the darkest time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were given a promise of a nation, the promise of multiple descendants, the promise of a land, and a promise of one who would bless the whole world. But Abraham was given that promise in old age when it seemed like he would never have a child. Isaac also was given that promise when his wife hadn't had any children. And Jacob received that promise when he was running away from home when he was at his lowest point. And Adam and Eve, as we looked at and as Wanda has talked about this morning, when they were given a promise of one who would crush the serpent's head, it was given when they were just kicked out of paradise. How could that be any worse than that? They were in a perfect world and now they were in a world that was cursed by sin, but that's when they received that promise, the darkest times. One map this morning, I just want you to notice the blue and the yellow. As we talked about last week, the Assyrian Empire, that's the very top of the map, they were the ones that were bearing down on the kingdoms of Aram or Syria and the kingdom 
of Israel, the one there in blue. Remember last week it was Pekah and it was Rezin who were trying to conspire to defeat Assyria, but Assyria eventually defeated both. That was the promise that God made to Ahaz. And so now as we come to Isaiah chapter 9, years have passed and now there is no northern kingdom of Israel any longer. The kingdom of Judah is still surviving with two tribes, but only surviving for a short time. They have come back to God for the moment, but there's still pressure from Assyria, and they only get away from that by giving loads of money to Assyria. And so it's in this time when the northern kingdom has disappeared, it's in this time when the southern kingdom is under attack as well, it's in this dark time that the promise comes. It's hard for us to imagine, but because our country is so young, our country is just over 200 years old as a nation, as colonies, maybe just over 400 years old. But this was the nation of Israel that had been in existence as a people for 700 years. Try to imagine what it was like for them to have a history and to have generations that conquered a land and lived in a land and kings that ruled in a land, and now it's all gone. All of it. The ten tribes of Israel are, are, are scattered. There's no capital. There's no nation. There's no uh, people anymore. Maybe it's hard for us to imagine how dark, how gloomy, how depressed they were at this time when God gave them a promise. The promise first begins with the promise of going from gloom to honor. And it's in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. God says through the prophet Isaiah, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to Galilee of the nations. Notice, going from gloom to honor. Two of the ten tribes of Israel are Zebulun and Nephtali who were in the north. So these are used as words to describe the whole ten tribes of northern Israel. And what had happened to them, they had been humbled by God. They had been put down by God. They were no longer in existence. And of course that brought gloom. But what God said to them, it wasn't going to last. This gloom was only for a time. In the future there would be honor. In that time, in, in, in Judah, as they looked to the north, they probably thought, what could come out of the north? What good's going to happen there? It's a land that's been devastated. It's a land full of idolaters. It's a land filled with foreigners. What good's going to come out of there? Even in Jesus' day, they asked, what good could come out of Galilee? What good could come from that place? Uh, as I try to think of our nation, where there might be something, we might ask, what good could come from it? A city that's in great distress right now is Detroit. I don't know if you're from Detroit. I used to live in Detroit. I was too little to remember it. But I was there when my dad worked for Chrysler at a time when that city was booming. And people were making money and people were prosperous and the city was growing. But now that city, a lot of it looks like this picture. Decay, falling apart, harkening back to a time when there was a lot of prosperity. 
So you might say today, what good's going to come out of Detroit? Could you imagine if there was a, a leader that came from that city that not only, uh, let's say we turned this whole nation back to God, and not only this nation but the world? Could you imagine and say, from Detroit? Really? That's where that guy came from? Was that place? And <laughs> that's how it was in Jesus' day? What good could come out of Galilee? That's how it was in Isaiah's day? What good's going to come from the north? But God said to those people, it's going to come from here. You are going to go from gloom to honor because this promised child is going to come from Galilee. He's going to come from this place that's been humbled. He's going to come from this place that's in darkness and gloom. He's going to come from here. So be encouraged, have hope. It's not always going to be this bad. There's also a promise of joy in the next verse. One of the easiest ways to see contrast is to see the contrast between light and dark. And that's what's used in the next verse. As Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders. The staff of their oppressor, it is as you did in the day of Midian. For every, excuse me, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here Isaiah gives the promise of God that there is going to be rejoicing. The darkness is going to be pierced by light. And the gloom and the darkness and the distress is going to be exchanged with joy and rejoicing. Here are some examples. Rejoicing at harvest time. We don't understand what that's like because we can go to the grocery store at any time and buy some food. But if we lived in a time when, as not too long ago in this country, when if there was not a good crop, you didn't have. Food, or you didn't have the things you needed to live in life. So as you waited all year and you prayed for rain and you prayed for the right temperature and you watched and you prayed as crops grew and as you prayed for a harvest and it finally came in and your family was blessed and you could say, yes, I'm going to live for another year. You know, that, that's how much joy came when a good harvest came in. Or in a battle when you are the victor and you win and you get to have all the goodies now that you have gotten from your conquered enemy. And so you get all the gold and all the animals and all the jewels and you have this uh, stash of stuff and there is rejoicing. Now again to us as American Christians those sound kind of strange things to get excited about. Uh, that uh, the harvest came in. I guess we have Thanksgiving holiday for that, maybe, but we don't think of it as an agricultural holiday. And uh, I don't know if any of us have been to war and have been excited about all the, the booty that you brought back. So these aren't quite the same things we get excited about, but it is things in that day they would have been very joyful about that God had blessed them in this way. What do you think of uh, when you think of the word joy and what brings you joy. For us, it's often uh, it's family or it's good health. It is possessions, things that we have. These things bring us joy and they should bring us joy. 
What, what I loved about this verse is that it talks about the joy that comes from being free. <coughs> Excuse me. And again, we don't really understand this because we haven't been slaves and we haven't been a country that has been oppressed. Could you imagine having a foreign government walking our streets and you being in your house afraid of soldiers in the street or afraid of your neighbors snitching on you and turning you in or being oppressed by a government that, <coughs> excuse me, hated you, hated what you stood for? You know, we, we don't understand what some people and some Christians have gone through as they have been oppressed. We don't know what it's like to be a slave. I'm not saying I want to know those things and have experienced them firsthand, but if we had, we would understand more about how freedom is joyful. And so the, the promise is for these nations that have come and conquered Israel and are ready to conquer Judah, God is promising them it's not always going to be that way. There's going to be joy because you are going to be free. Jesus talks about freedom, and we do understand this freedom when we look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus stood up in the synagogue, and he read, and he read from a passage in Isaiah, a different one. He read this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sat down and he said, this has been fulfilled in your presence today. Because this was looking forward to Jesus and Jesus was there in the synagogue. And Jesus said, I am here to bring freedom. Paul said the same thing when he was preaching. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Do you hear that? Again, listen. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. We may not know what it means to be a slave or to be oppressed by government, but we do know what it's like to be enslaved to sin. Even as a child, when I was saved, I was only eight years old. And I know an eight-year-old can't get up to too much mischief or have too long of a life to have sinned too much. So it wasn't like I had this long rap sheet of sin and, uh, and I had this big heavy burden. But even myself, at that young age, I could feel a burden of sin and could feel a separation from God. And I still remember to this day the peace and the freedom that came when my sin was forgiven at that moment of salvation. That's the most important thing I remember about it, was that peace. I was free. Sin no longer was uh, oppressing me. And so that's true for all of us who are Christians. Whenever you became a believer in Jesus, you are free from sin and from uh, from Satan and free from the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death. So that promise of joy, being free, was given to a people who were oppressed by a government and were waiting for a time when they would be able to live their life in freedom. 
We as American Christians live our life in freedom as our government does not oppress us, but we are free and can have the joy of freedom from our sin. And that is what brings joy. So it's a promise of uh, change of fortunes, a promise of joy, and a promise of a child. These are the verses you're more familiar with, verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. These familiar words that are read at Christmas, sang in songs at Christmas, is a promise. Again, it's really a promise of a ruler. We don't usually think about that when we read it. We focus on the description of this ruler. But it's a promise of a ruler, and it makes sense because it's given to a nation that doesn't exist anymore. Their country has been destroyed. Their capital is gone. Their nation is gone. And they're in a dark time, and so they need some hope to continue. And Isaiah says to them, there will be a time when there will be a ruler. You will have a nation again. You will be part of a kingdom again. But this kingdom is not going to be destroyed by Assyrians. It's not going to be destroyed by Babylonians. It's going to exist forever. And this ruler is not going to be an idol worshiper like you're used to. And he's not going to be a cheat like you're used to. And he's not going to turn from God like you're used to. He's going to be a ruler that brings righteousness and prosperity. And he's going to rule with justice. And so too, uh, the northern kingdom and its scraps and bits and to Judah as it's being squeezed to hear this promise of a ruler, of a kingdom, of a perfect kingdom is a promise that brings hope in a dark time. Notice how it focuses on government will be on his shoulder. The dominion will be vast. He will reign. It's a promise of a ruler. Now, not a promise of a politician. That would be much of a promise or give us much hope. But this is one who is a ruler who rules forever in justice and righteousness, prosperity. Now, Christmas, we usually focus on these words. And I want to because they're so important and they bring so much hope and joy in this promise. Because this child who is a ruler is... Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That certainly doesn't sound like any ruler I've ever seen or any ruler that the Israelites had ever had on the throne. It becomes obvious this isn't just any human ruler. This ruler is himself God. That's who's going to be ruling. And in Israel, that had been the hope all along that God would be the ruler of his people, it was the people who turned from him and the people who wanted a human king. But God had always wanted to simply be the ruler and the people to obey him in obedience. And here in the future, that's what's going to happen because it's not going to be 
a human king who messes up. It's going to be a, the king is going to be God himself. The word wonderful sometimes is put together with counselor as a wonderful counselor, as an adjective for counselor. Sometimes they're separated as two different nouns. Uh, Any way you do it, it tells us this. Wonderful really means inexplainable. So I love that word. It's not just a word that, uh, oh, this child, oh, God's wonderful. And since we think of our English word, but this is a person, this is a God who you can't even put into words. That's how wonderful he is. If you could use words to describe God, I would think he wouldn't be all that great because you could, he would be, wouldn't be any greater than the words you could use. But to know that there is a God who you cannot understand in words, you can't explain in words, he's so much more than that, tells us how great and wonderful he is. A counselor is one who is wise and who knows all things because he is God. What is the perfect, what, isn't he the perfect person to go to when we need wisdom, if he's the all-knowing God? And he's not only all-knowing, he is almighty. He can do anything. And he is eternal. He didn't have a beginning. He won't have an end. He has been our Father, our God for eternity and he brings us peace. He's a ruler, but he's a ruler of peace. These words to the first listeners were a promise of hope. Again, notice how everything is different from what they experienced. They were in a time where their country was gone. They were in a time where sin was rampant. They were in a time when everything was dark and gloom. But God gives a promise of a future where there is honor, where there is joy, where there is a kingdom that lasts forever, where there is a ruler who is God himself who rules over his people. And this is the promise that was given to a people who are down and out to give them hope and encouragement in their darkest time. And it does the same for us to have these promises of a future, of course, that looks to Jesus when he came from Galilee. It looks to Jesus when he was born as a child. But as we also look at Isaiah 9, we realize that when Jesus came to Bethlehem and then moved to Egypt and then finally to Galilee, he wasn't ruling on a throne. He wasn't uh, ruling over a government. And so these prophecies look beyond first century Judah to the end of all time. And they look forward to a time when Jesus will be ruling on this earth for a thousand years. And then his rule will continue as it will roll into an eternity with his people. And as much as I love Revelation when it talks about how there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain, there will be no more death. These wonderful truths of all the things that give us the sorrow of life are going to be gone, but what makes Revelation and its description of heaven even better <clears throat> is that God is going to be there and that finally we are going to be with Him. He is going to be our God and we are going to be His people and He's going to be ruling 
and he's going to be reigning, and it's going to be forever, and it's going to be a time of peace and prosperity and perfection. That is the hope that we have. So the promises that were given, <clears throat> God is going to accomplish. <clears throat> the last part of the verse reminds us of this. And I love this because it's not based on what we do or what we don't do. Everything that brings us hope and everything that's promised that's going to come, God said He's going to do it. And what's amazing to me that it, often He keeps His promises by using people. And people are always messing things up. That, that, that's the one thing we're good at. We're good at messing things up and, and, and sinning and, and doing things selfishly and messing up plans. But as we mess up plans, God is still completing His plan. Even as He uses humans and even as people mess things up. That's how uh, infinite His wisdom and His power is. And so the fact that God is the one who's going to accomplish it. The fact that God who is our ruler, who is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The fact that that is the one who's made the promises and going to keep the promises gives us hope that he will keep every single promise that is in his word. So as we respond this morning, I encourage you just to think about all the promises that God has made to never leave us, nor forsake us. Jesus said, I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus has promised that if we believe in him, he will give us eternal life. Uh, we are promised that there will be rest for us one day. We are promised, Jesus says that he gives to us peace. He has promised us that he gives to us joy. These promises and, and others, as you read them in scripture, as they come to mind, I hope these promises give you encouragement, hope, so that you can continue often in your darkest, gloomiest time. It's then we need to hear those promises, and it's then that those promises can give us that hope. Even though it's at those times, it seems like we need much more than a promise. But the promise of God is far more than any other promise we've made to each other. It's certain it's going to happen and it's going to be a wonderful, fulfilled promise. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. <clears throat> thankful for your promises, but not just for words that are spoken, but words that are fulfilled. And your promises, Lord, we have seen Jesus as he has come, and we look forward, Jesus, for you to come again. And your promises... You sustain us through each and every day. I pray that your people would hear this morning, God, that you are a God with a plan, a God with a perfect plan, and you remind us through your promises here again and again who you are, what you're up to, and what our future is. And Lord, when that future looks dark because our present is dark, when we're down, we're depressed, it's all around us is gloom. I pray especially then those promises would come to our minds, to our heart, and they would be food for our soul. 
and they would nourish us and encourage us. I pray, Lord, that you would always help us to see with the eyes of faith that these words are not just words spoken, but they are pointing to a certain future. And I pray again that that future would give us hope for today. So I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, for you to bless them. I pray now that as we respond to your word that if we are hurting, we'd reach out and claim those promises. Lord, if we need to hear something today, I pray that you would speak it to our heart. I pray, Jesus, these things in your precious name. Amen.